Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. The U.S. Supreme Court has handed President Trump a pretty major defeat in his legal battle to keep his financial records secret. The court ruled yesterday that the Manhattan District Attorney can subpoena Trump's business and tax records. But it also blocked the president's past financial records from congressional subpoena, at least for now. And that case was sent back to the lower courts. Although the ruling could lead to legal repercussions for Trump in the future, it also probably means that we're not going to see these tax records before the November election. Here to talk about all of this is someone who has been digging into Trump's finances for years. David K. Johnston is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist who specializes in economics and tax issues. He has been reporting extensively about Trump's finances for a really long time. He wrote a piece recently in dcreport.org titled The Supreme Court Hands Trump an Election Boost. David K. Johnston, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, Stephen, thank you for having me on. Yes, it's great to have you back with us. So I, I want to start with your reaction to yesterday's Supreme Court ruling. I think I know what it is, but uh, tell us tell us how you're feeling about what they did. Well, it is 100% unsurprising that the Supreme Court unanimously agreed, even the two dissenters, unanimously agreed that the president is not above the law and that he must comply with lawful subpoenas. The disappointing part is that rather than saying the subpoena goes forth with, that is, compliance will take place as soon as this order is issued, they sent it back to the federal district court in Manhattan for further litigation. Um, Donald Trump could have sought his remedies in state court because this is a state grand jury Mm -hmm. that is investigating him for tax crimes going back to 2011. But he chose to take it to federal court, Stephen, and I, I, am, I understand the legal reason cited by Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, that we've never ruled on a state-level subpoena, so we want to make sure the procedural matters were properly followed. But they could have said, you know, all right, you've now had a full hearing on this and sent it back, not sent it back, but said the subpoena is executable today. Mm. And I think that's, that's unfortunate. So a legal loss for Trump, a political win for Trump. Yeah. Um, how significant is that in the sort of long-term narrative of this of this issue? This has been something that, that people have been trying to get the president to comply with for a really long time. Uh, does this does this mean it won't it won't ultimately matter what was in his taxes because he will almost certainly never be standing for election while we have that knowledge uh, in our heads. Well, uh, Donald Trump's going to be prosecuted. There's no question about that. And let me just give a little background here from my 32 years of covering Donald. (laughs) First of all, uh, as I revealed in 2016 in my biography, uh, The Making of Donald Trump, uh, he was tried twice for civil tax fraud, not criminal, but civil over his 1984 tax return. He not only lost both cases, but he had no case. He, he claimed uh, he had a consulting business with zero revenue and 600 thousand dollars of expenses, but he couldn't produce a single receipt. Mm. 
and he got very harsh opinions from the judges who were involved in it, and, and frankly, could have been prosecuted criminally for that. Then uh, the New York Times, my former newspaper, which graciously said that it was my uh, obtaining Trump's 2005 tax return that inspired them, did this massive, brilliantly executed investigation in 2018 of Trump's taxes after they got 19 boxes of uh, Trump family documents that we now know came from Mary Trump, Donald Trump's niece, who has a book coming out next week about Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. She's a clinical psychologist, and she lays bare who he is and the monstrous household that he grew up in and how it turned him into a sociopath. That investigation stopped with 2001 because that's the records that were available at the Times. But the Times flat out said, Donald Trump and his siblings are major league serial tax cheats. They didn't beat around the bush about it. And you know how hard it is to flat out say that someone did something rather than it appears yes. or there's evidence of. Uh, so the Manhattan prosecutors already have Donald Trump's federal tax information because the IRS shares information with the states and vice versa, just as Michigan does with the IRS. What they don't have are the business records of the Trump organization the banking records at Deutsche Bank and, and Capital One, although I don't think Capital One's important, and the accounting records at Mazers USA, Donald Trump's accounting firm. Uh, they will get them, whether they get them quickly or Donald manages through a lot of uh, uh, spending a lot of money on lawyers to tie this up for a long time, the grand jury will get them. Mm -hmm. And if the tax returns deviate from the accounting and business records, Donald Trump will be indicted and pardoning himself will not save him because pardons apply only to federal crimes. They do not apply to state crimes. Um, I, I, I want to talk just a little about what you think voters and citizens would or should make of what you think is in these 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 tax records. I mean, it's an interesting, it's a, I mean, it's an unusual issue, I guess, for a president to be facing, first of all, not wanting to reveal his tax records, but second of all, standing kind of accused of some sort of chicanery in, in those tax records. Uh, what should, what should voters, if they could see these things and they can see the reporting that you've done on his past run-ins with, with the IRS, uh, what should they make of, of, of what this means? What does this say about Donald Trump? Well, the, the first thing, you know, you should think about is the way that investigative reporters like me look at, at matters like this. If somebody is trying so hard to hide records, they're threatening to sue people, and Donald has called me at home and threatened me many times since uh, the late 80s to sue me, never has. If they're telling you they're going to give you something, as Trump said he would do as a candidate, and then said, well, I won the election, I don't have to do it anymore. What have they got to hide? And we have lots of reason to know that Donald Trump has things to hide. Uh, uh, Mary Trump in her book goes through uh, uh, his life of cheating, because that was what was about the Fred Trump, his father, the Fred Trump household was about. It wasn't a home of love. It was a home of lucre and cheating and lying and doing anything you could, no matter how despicable, that got you money, just so long as you didn't get arrested. And if you were in danger, you either ratted out other people to law enforcement, as Trump has done again and again over his lifetime, or 
you uh, bullied and intimidated and attacked law enforcement. So uh, Donald Trump is is the third generation head of a four generation white collar crime family. They don't go around breaking legs. They go around uh, bankrupting you and destroying you with a pen. Uh, the beginner of the family in America, Friedrich Drumpf, mm-hmm. uh, fled Germany in, 19, in 1885 so he wouldn't be drafted. Uh, many young men did that in Europe, came to America, became a pimp, made a lot of money as a pimp uh, in uh, uh, Washington State and in the Yukon Territory tried to go back to Germany. The Germans said, you're a draft dodger. We don't care how rich you are. Get out of our country. Came back to America. Um, uh, we don't know exactly what he did, but he lived a very luxurious lifestyle, even though his apparent business was a small tobacco shop in Manhattan. And you can draw your own conclusions about whether a tobacco shop would allow one to live a life of great luxury. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Fred Trump, um, very industrious man, cheated the federal government. President Eisenhower literally uh, hollered and yelled in the Oval Office when he found out how Fred Trump had ripped off the government in a program that was to help returning GIs uh, get housing. And think about that for a moment. And Dwight Eisenhower has this moral weight on him because he gave the order to send all those young men to their deaths on the beaches in France. Mm-hmm. And he finds out that this guy who never served Fred, Fred Trump has used a program to help those who survived and cheat them and cheat the taxpayers. And Donald Trump is just his father on steroids. He's a liar, a, a cheat, a bully, and he's crazy. I mean, I've literally seen Donald be delusional, and if you watch on TV, you can see Donald at times being delusional about things. He's deeply mentally ill, and Mary Trump, who is a clinical psychologist, uh, provides us with both the inside stories of the family plus her expert knowledge. Um, I, I also wonder if you can talk about then what you think the taxes and the tax records would change about what people think about Donald Trump. I mean, uh, right there, you just laid out a very comprehensive profile, really, of the president and where he comes from and and where he gets some of the the behaviors and ideas that we all are witness to each day. Would it matter at all to voters to see his tax records, which I suppose would tell us a little more detail about who he is? But I kind of feel like people fall into two categories. There are people who dismiss the president offhand because of the things that he says and does and the fact that, as you point out, he seems unstable. And then there are people who it doesn't matter what they learn about the president, that they are just in favor of the policies that he's putting in place. They like the way the economy has performed. Maybe they like the rhetoric about America first or make America great again. Uh, I, I really, I really would love to hear you Talk about whether this would matter in any way. Well, I think Donald Trump has come along in in an interesting time in America. Uh, Beginning with Ronald Reagan, we started to have federal leaders who were pretty open about their uh, dislike of and wish they could turn the clock back on the various liberties movements, the civil rights movement, uh, uh, the women's, the feminist movement. Uh, in the more recent years, uh, a gay and transgender rights. 
Um, Donald Trump has basically three sets of supporters, and they overlap, and they are a minority. The biggest, most important group of his supporters are people who have real legitimate grievances, and I have tried to be their champion. I wrote a best-selling series of books about them. Mm-hmm. And it is the 90% of Americans whose income today is essentially the same as it was in the late 1960s. Uh, and this didn't happen by accident. Right. It happened because of government policies. We elected people who put in place policies that suppressed wages, uh, discouraged all sorts of things that would be good for the economy, and literally took money out of the pockets of ordinary people and put it in the pockets of super rich people. And if you want to read the books there at the Detroit Library, uh, Perfectly Legal is about taxes, Free Lunch is about subsidies, The Fine Print is about restraining competition. Mm-hmm. So that group of people is an understandable set of supporters for Trump. But he also relies on the support of people who really hate the civil rights movement, but know that you can't in public society spread racial slurs. These are people who don't want to sit next to a Latino on an airplane. They don't want an Asian in the cockpit. And God forbid they have to report to a black woman boss. Hmm. And they'll stand there and tell you, I'm not a racist. What are you talking about? Donald Trump's not a racist. Donald Trump's a stone-cold racist who's been found to be one in formal judicial proceedings. The next group are the white evangelicals who embrace Trump, even though in one of his books he writes at length for pages and pages about how his life philosophy is revenge, about his fantasies of brutalizing women, and of how... What gives him pleasure in life is destroying other people. None of that is Christian. My God, that's that's anti-Christian. And yet there are all sorts of pastors that support him and even say that he's God's agent. And you may have seen the video of Donald looking up to the sky and suggesting that he's either God or God's anointed servant. Um, So the the people who have real grievances, economic ones, the— uh, people who hate the civil rights movement, which I suspect is around 30% of the public based on other sociological data, and these people who call themselves Christians and clearly are not, um, if they support Trump, uh, those are his bases. That's a minority of the public, Stephen, and they're shrinking. Mm-hmm. I, I, I remember reading stories. I've been a big city reporter, including at the Free Press, since 1968. I was at the Detroit at the Santa Fe Mercury in nineteen sixty eight when I was a teenager. Hmm. I was a front page staff writer. And I remember stories back then that the Republican Party was on its way to becoming a minority party because the country was going to become more black and brown and Asian. And the Republican Party was warned, you gotta change. Well instead of changing, they just doubled down on who they are. Uh, on support for things like the traitors of the Confederacy and rigging the voting system Mm. in various ways to hang on to power. And Donald Trump exploited all of that. Uh, I'm talking with David K. Johnston. He is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who specializes in economics and tax issues. He has been reporting extensively about President Donald Trump's finances for years and years and years, long before President uh, Trump became the president. He wrote a piece in the DCReport.org titled 
the Supreme Court hands Trump an election boost. That is about yesterday's ruling in the Supreme Court about uh, revealing the president's taxes, something that he once said he would do during the campaign. And then after he won, the election said, well, it didn't matter anymore. He didn't have to show what his tax records uh, looked like. Uh, and there have been lawsuits to try to force him to do that. The Supreme Court yesterday ruled that the president enjoys no particular privilege to be able to hide these tax records from the public. But they also said that the lower courts needed to go back and re-adjudicate these issues, which probably means that none of us are going to see those tax records before the November election when the president is standing for re-election. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us what you make of the Supreme Court's ruling yesterday about the Manhattan District Attorney's subpoena of President Trump's financial records. What do you think of the fact that the ruling means we won't see these records before the election? Do you think this is a win for the president uh, or a loss for him? And tell us what you think about the idea of this kind of executive privilege. Should presidents and other public officials have to comply with subpoenas uh, for their tax records, even if those subpoenas seem like they have slight political motivations. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to, to, to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work you into the conversation. Also give us a call and tell us if you think that there's anything in the president's tax records that would change your mind about him. If you're a supporter of the president, would there be something that you could discover about his taxes that would cause you to not support him? And if you're somebody who doesn't like the president, uh, is there something that uh, you would see in these records that would say to you that uh, he's not the person that uh, you, you thought he was? Okay, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back. We are going to continue with David K. Johnson and we will get to your calls and your comments. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET delivers trusted news, inclusive conversations, and cultural experiences that empower the community. 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Talking with David K. Johnson. Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist who specializes in economics and tax issues has been reporting extensively about President Donald Trump's finances for many, many years. Uh, we're talking about yesterday's Supreme Court ruling that says the president cannot defy subpoenas for his tax records. That ruling also, though, said that lower courts need to go back and think about these issues, re-adjudicate them in order to come up with the way to reveal the president's tax records. And that probably means we're not going to see those records until after the election. We want to hear from you about what you think about the ruling, also what you think about uh, the president's uh, incredible efforts to hide his taxes from the public and, and from voters. Uh, as always, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's start with Bill in Pontiac. Bill, welcome to the show. Yes, uh, good morning. Um, 
Thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, think that uh, Trump should not have to show his tax returns. That's not a requirement to becoming president. And I don't care if everybody says, oh, every president's done it since Jimmy Carter. So what? I mean, you know, there's only, what, two or three things you got to do. you got to be born in the U.S. Uh, you got to be over 35, and you got to have a heartbeat. And other than that, you can run for president. There's nothing that's in the Constitution that says you got to show your tax returns. That's silly. No, there, you're right about that. There is nothing in the Constitution that says you have to do it. It's become a custom, a practice of custom, I suppose, uh, among among people who run for president. Uh, David K. Johnston, the issue here, though, was not whether someone who runs for president must reveal their tax records. The question here was whether once you are president, if your tax records are subpoenaed, do you have some special protection because you are president, which would shield you from having to do it? And, and, and Stephen, let me tell you how audacious this is. The subpoena is for records from 2011 forward. Donald Trump asserted that once he became president, all of his prior conduct as a private citizen was beyond the reach of investigators. In fact, his lawyer, George Consovoy, literally said, you can get read the transcript online to uh, a federal judge uh, in this matter, uh, that were Trump to actually shoot someone on Fifth Avenue, Donald Trump's position is that the New York Police Department could not in- even investigate that homicide. Mm-hmm. That is an unbelievably audacious claim to dictatorial powers. So I agree with Bill that, you know, you're not required to show your tax return. I think it's something that voters should take into account as to, well, why wouldn't you when everyone else has? But it is absolutely not a requirement to do so. But here we're talking about a criminal investigation that is well-founded because Donald Trump has lost, as I mentioned, two civil tax fraud trials. And there's extensive public record uh, indicating that Donald Trump uh, has engaged in criminal tax fraud. Yeah. Uh, and it's also important, I think, to, to note what the principle involved here is, this notion of executive privilege and what it protects a president from and what it doesn't is not something that's exclusive to the Trump administration. That comes up in every presidency. And I'm someone who I think would uh, would would absolutely say that that we have seen presidents become more and more imperial in this way in particular over time, that each president seems to assert just a little more privilege than the last here Trump is taking was trying to take a huge leap forward and saying essentially that he is entirely above the law but but again he's not the first person to suggest that the president ought to be shielded from this kind of scrutiny absolutely Stephen and I would further on Bill's point executive privilege is not in the Constitution right it's just not one of those things that uh, is part of the founding it's something that has developed over time. Uh, Bill, again, thanks very much for the call and uh, the question. Let's go to Charlie in Royal Oak. Charlie, what's on your mind? You there, Charlie? Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the divided states of America. <laughs> All right. Thanks to Donald Trump. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, after he's gone, I think we are going to have to try to make America great again. But um, 
I'm interested in his uh, his dealings with the Russian mafia. I understand he's borrowed money from them and how that might relate to his good buddy, Mr. Putin, in Russia. Hmm. Uh, great question. Of course, there were lots of rumors and stories and other things about this during the campaign. Uh, David K. Johnston shed some light for Charlie on, on that relationship. Yeah. Well, Charlie, one of the reasons that my friends and I, who are former senior editors of the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and the LA Times, created DC Report, which is free. There's no ads in it. It's free. We do this. We're pensioners, and it's public service that we're doing, (laughs) is because we didn't think the mainstream media was properly covering Donald Trump. Donald Trump has has been courted by the Russians since 1987. Uh, Russian state television within the last year has run a a program with a segment called um, Putin's Puppet. And it was all about how Donald Trump was Putin's puppet. Now, uh, Vladimir Putin, the modern czar, is such a thoroughly entrenched dictator that he had his primary political opponent assassinated in Moscow and on a bridge where the video camera uh, pictures of the body on the on the bridge would be sure to show the Kremlin in the background so nobody misunderstood uh, that there is no limit to the power of Vladimir Putin. The Russian oligarchs, who are not just, by the way, uh, they may be ethnic Russians, but there are from the old Soviet bloc countries like Kazakhstan and Ukraine and Belarus. Uh, This is the biggest, richest criminal gang in the world. They stole the wealth of the old Soviet Union when the communist regime collapsed. And the head of that gang is Vladimir Putin. Donald Trump has done deals that I have detailed and so have others that make no sense at all as a business matter, but make plenty of sense if you're either paying somebody off or laundering money. And in particular of interest to this and relevant to the grand jury investigation in Manhattan are the loans Donald Trump got from Deutsche Bank. Uh, In 1990, I uh, broke the story that Donald Trump was never a billionaire, that it was all smoke and mirrors, and he called me a liar for four months, and then he had to put documents in the record that proved that I was right. He had a negative net worth. Um, After that, he said he borrowed $3 billion knowing I wasn't going to pay it back. Think about going to your banker and saying, listen, I want to borrow money from you, but I know I'm not going to pay you back. So all the banks in America cut him off, and the only bank that would loan him significant money was Deutsche Bank, which is essentially a criminal organization with a banking license. It's paid billions and tens of billions of dollars in fines for money, money laundering for Russian criminals and all sorts of other horrible activities and promoting serious tax frauds in America. It is widely believed that Donald got those loans only because Russian criminals connected with Vladimir Putin put up money and deposits or letters of credit that guaranteed the loans to Trump. If that's the fact, and we'll find out eventually, that means that Donald Trump throughout his presidency has been under the thumb of Vladimir Putin. And it would explain why he's never said a single negative word about him, why he has had these secret meetings with him where no one else was in attendance, not even an American translator, why he gave away sources and methods, the most important national security information we have to the Russian foreign minister and the Russian ambassador in 2017, why he has yet to say a word about the intelligence indicating Putin was giving the Taliban bounties uh, to kill American soldiers, 
which is intelligence. I mean, it's not, we don't have final proof of it, but we do have financial records and testimony from people that the military and the intelligence have, uh, people have collected. And, you know, we ought to know if the president of the United States is a loyal patriot or is an agent of the Kremlin. Hmm. Uh, again, thanks very much, Charlie, for the call and the questions. Let's uh, quickly go to Anthony in southwest Detroit. Anthony, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. Hey. Um, I, I just wanted to say I don't think, you know, all this information, you know, we already know so much of it, and anything else we find out, uh, of course, those of us who believe we're going to just see it as more proof positive, but I, his supporters, they're never going to believe it. Hmm. And um, I just want to make the point, too, that, you know, we, we've seen, you know, questionable behavior from some of our more wealthy people locally. I'd, I'd argue, you know, you could say fraudulent loans with Gilbert, you could say tax booting Maddie Maroon trying to rewrite the Michigan Constitution. But I, for me, I see Donald Trump as the renaissance man of all those fraudulent transactions. He's gone well and above and beyond any of the local things that I can think of. Hmm. Uh, Anthony, I uh, absolutely appreciate the call uh, and and the comments. And I, I think I really agree with you that very few people will probably be swayed by whatever information end up, ends up coming out of these uh, these subpoenas, even if it's after the election. I just don't know that uh, people are persuadable anymore uh, on Donald Trump. But that doesn't mean that uh, there aren't some really important principles involved here and that it's important for us to be able to hold even the president of the United States uh, accountable for his behavior. Okay, David K. Johnston, it is always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thank you very much for coming by for this conversation. Stephen, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Yes, and uh, you can check out David's work again at dcreport.org. We're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Michigan being one of several states that is suing U.S. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos over her push to send federal coronavirus funding to private schools. We're going to talk with reporter Kobe Levin of Chalkbeat about the case and about the prospects for reopening schools here, public schools here in Michigan in the fall. Stay with us on Detroit Today.